and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Yes, it is Farmer Friday. We would love to hear from you all throughout the show. Our phone lines will be open 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here, but over the last year, we've had a lot of questions about what our feelings are, what we think is going to happen with input costs. So I will just tell you that I've been meeting with a lot of the big ag chemical and seed companies here over the last few months, and I'll, I'll just give you my thoughts and opinions. I sent some of these out to a number of agronomists that I do a lot of training with this morning, and that the number one thing is the fertilizer. That's bad, and it's probably going to remain bad, primarily because of the Russia-Ukraine thing, but also in part because of very high energy costs. So it costs more to produce everything, costs more to transport everything. It, it, it's, it's pretty ugly. We're, we're lucky, I mean really lucky, that we have high commodity prices. So we can afford higher fertilizer prices. But long term, I'm optimistic that whenever the Russia-Ukraine thing is done, that fertilizer prices will come back down. And someday the oil price is going to come back down too. I mean, we all know how this thing works. It goes up, it goes down over the years. It's just a question of when it goes up and when it goes down. But in the short term, I'm not seeing lower fertilizer prices. Now, who knows, maybe by next spring, it's possible fertilizer could come down in price. It really depends a lot on what happens with, number one, the Russia-Ukraine thing, and number two, the oil price. Okay, so that's fertilizer. If I look at the ag chemical market, um, there are some things that are going to be, we're going to have a lot more supply of next year, like Liberty, 2,4-D, Atrazine, Roundup. So, I mean, most markets, it's supply and demand. Well, if there's way more supply, what usually happens with price, the price comes down. So I'm expecting some of the things that went 2, 3x this year on price, they're going to come down a little bit. Some of the things that barely went up, though, from last year, they're probably going to have to continue going up. I, I was just talking to one ag chem manufacturer yesterday who was telling me, like, every month I look at our cost of goods, and a lot of it has to do with energy costs. So whether it's transportation, it's the raw materials, everything is going up every month. It's getting worse. And I said, yep, I, I, I can understand that. So what are you thinking for next year? Well, just about all the ag chem companies have said, yeah, we got to go up a little bit to, to overcome those costs. And I don't think that's any real big surprise. But on a per acre basis, doesn't amount to it's peanuts compared to what the fertilizer is up. So anyway, I'm, I'm not super worried about the ag chem thing. And some things are going to be much improved, like I say. And then when we get to seed, I don't foresee a lot of change with soybeans. I do think the corn price is going up in part because the corn price didn't go up this past year. And I think a lot of the companies look at it now. And I mean, think about what seed corn is. Um, it's, well, number one, the production cost, and that's gone up. But number two, a lot of it's logistics. Well, look at every company. And, and you might see surcharges next year. I mean, it all depends on what happens with energy costs. So I realize when you hear all this, you're probably thinking, oh, this is terrible news. But I mean, that some of our things are going to go up. It really all depends on what happens with commodity prices. As long as commodity prices are up and, and input costs are up, you know, as long as they're up accordingly, but whatever, we can, we can all make it. We're going to be fine. 
So I can't tell you for sure what's going to happen a year from now, and that's when you're going to put in the 2023 crop. But I mean, these are the kind of things we're we're looking at, we're working on all the time, and we'll try to give you whatever information that we can as we move forward. But yeah, right now, I, I just say fertilizer is the one that has really got my attention on our farm because that's what we spend by far the most on. We probably spend twice as much on fertilizer as we do chem and seed combined. So it takes a lot of fertility to raise high-yielding crops. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. There we go. Uh, I get this in from Garland. He's down in Alabama. He said, I'm farming mostly river bottom grounds with CECs around 10, soil organic matter around 2.5%. I want to put soybeans in. I'm shooting for 65 bushel beans. I'm going to put 140 units of potassium out there. I just put on 2.5 tons of layer house litter containing about 45 pounds. I'll no-till into cover crop that's been burned down. My question is, when should I apply the additional potassium? I'm thinking of broadcasting 100 pounds at planting and then following up with 200 pounds of KMAG. If applied at planting, do you think potassium and sulfur in the KMAG will be there when the plant needs it? Or should I delay that until a little bit later and apply it in crop? Where is he from? Alabama. River, okay. river bottom ground. Yeah, I don't care as much about the river bottom ground so, as I care about rainfall. He said we plant on 15-inch rows and I hate running over crop. Uh, okay, so is the potassium going to be there for a while? Yes. So would I put 100 pounds, and it's not 100 pounds of actual here he's talking about, right? It's 100 pounds of potash, I assume. 100 pounds of potash. Yeah, okay. 100 pounds of potash is only 50 pounds of actual K, 60 pounds of K2O, however you want to look at that. But would I do that? You bet I would. So I'm not that worried about that, I think. But here's my most important question. What's his K level right now? He didn't give us that, right? Nope. Okay, and here's why I bring this up. If he had 8% base saturation K and 200 pounds of K sitting out there today, just as an example, um, then it's not as critical that you get the 100 pounds out early. However, I have two two things I'm worried about. Number one, chances are his K levels aren't that high. And number two, it takes potash a while to break down. So when you put certain things. Let's say I, I put liquid nitrogen out there. All right. I think most of us realize that's available, if not today, in the next few days. When you put dry potash out, it's basically a rock. It doesn't break down real quick. So like in our country where I say country, in our area where we get very little rain, um, it might take three years for potash to fully break down. In Alabama, with the rainfall you have and the heat you have, hopefully it'll break down over two to four months. But would I worry that much about putting some out early and then some out later? No, I, that, that's exactly what you're doing is probably exa- almost exactly what I would do. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. Good luck with your potash applications this year. Stay tuned. It's Farmer Friday. We'll be right back. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. 
And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Here at Farm Shop MFG, we keep hearing from folks who've tried our germinators. Yeah, I'm Wayne Bossman from down here by Parker, South Dakota, and I was very impressed how they came up quicker, and they just going to look like a better stand, and just greener, and just a little taller all, all year, as dry as it was. I think they really made a difference. Really looking forward to using them this year. See more of what our fans are saying and order today for spring delivery at farmshopmfg.com. When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit Enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your fields today and tomorrow. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. That means our phone lines are open all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We'll tackle your question or comment. Uh, it, it's a fun day. I love Fridays on a radio show. Now, we tried to get Tony Wendler on last week, and something happened. I think it was on our end that we we ran out of time, ran long. We had so many callers uh, the day that Tony was going to be on. So, Tony, uh, glad to have you on the show today. I'm glad to be uh, here talking with you again. And I've got a little bit of a, a review for, uh, for you and for uh, some of the listeners who attended your workshops last winter. Okay. At... At three of the workshops, we had drawings for six germinator closing wheels, and the uh, we had our drawings and had the winners. And I'm just going to uh, tell their first names where they're from, so everybody knows it's a real thing. And also, there are some added values to not only learning a bunch at an ag PhD workshop, but it's uh, you could go away with some things to enhance your uh, production. Awesome. Uh, Brandon in Bloomer, Wisconsin, was one winner. Brad in Winter, South Dakota, was the second, and Gordon from Arlington, South Dakota, was the third. So all three of those individuals won uh, six germinator closing wheels, which will set up three rows in their planters, so they get a little experience with it. Outstanding. And I'll throw one more thing that is uh, I hear so often, and uh, I'm way beyond counted on my fingers. I've got to use my toes now to count how many times farmers tell me this. With these individuals, if they have like three rows, and that's all they do, although a, a couple of them are getting a few more wheels, the um, the most typical thing I hear from a farmer who had a few the previous year is the germinator rows emerged one to three days before the others. So they do have a very profound effect on uh, getting that seed into the just perfect environment to get the emergence. You know, so. here, here's the thing, Tony, that doesn't always turn into yield, but very often what we've seen getting up one to three days sooner, you have drier corn in the fall. And 
that is worth a lot of money, especially when you look at fuel prices this year. So uh, that's pretty cool. One to three days faster emergence is definitely something worth noting. I, I had one individual in South Dakota called me up and said I had a problem. All last year on every pass, I had green strips in my field, and you're going to help me solve it. The uh, He put germinators on his pinch rows, and they came up uh, on a 36 row. He had those six rows up three days before everything else. Wow. That's awesome. So, and he said it was it was all spring. You know, those kind of things yeah. are noticeable. And I, I would say this, too, for anybody listening today. We, we just feel that emergence and shortly after is just such an important time to be out in your fields. But our challenge that we run into is we see so many guys, including ourselves, that, well, we're still planting on another field. Or, man, we're hustling to get something else done. It is a really busy time of year. But uh, that's the time where we're getting out in those fields. Following up on that is a big deal. I like to track uh GDUs as soon as I plant. We've got a GDU app that is free to use, the Ag PhD GDU calculator. You just type in your fields, type in what day you planted, and it will automatically track those for you. So you can see, okay, hey, I'm getting to about 80 GDUs. I'm going to have corn poking through here. I better get a, get back out in those fields and take a look. Is is 80 GDUs the uh, the point where you look for emergence? No, it's 100, and that's why I say 80. We've seen corn up as fast as 68 GDUs on our farm, but if you're using germinator mm-hmm. closing wheels and you're expecting you're going to get a one- to three-day advantage, I'd start paying attention at 80 because <laughs> you just don't know. <laughs> okay. if, it's, if it's getting up faster, which it very likely will for you too, uh, that's awesome. Let's let's get out there and see it. And now if you're out there at 100 GDUs when everything else is coming up, that's fine because you may have a one leaf advantage. That That's cool too that you'll notice right at that point, wow, how come everyone here has got a leaf already and these just have a spike? So yeah, get out there around, plant, or around emergence time this year and pay attention. And then compare row to row. We talk about that a lot. You know, how did one row do ne- next to the other? Well, you got an unfair advantage if, if you're trying something out like a new closing wheel. Yeah, yeah, it's and uh, you know, going out and if you're if you're doing things, you're you're checking some things out, doing some evaluation. Go and look and make sure you're seeing it, and then see it in your different fields, your different soil types, exactly what's taking place. Yeah, so, that's but, that's a good point too, Tony. Different soil types, because here's the thing that a lot of guys say: Man, I'm having trouble getting my planter set up where it's perfect everywhere or where it really is the best of all situations so i've got heavy ground here in one part of my field but then i go up on the hill and it's lighter or vice versa and and i see differences what do you notice i mean is there a sweet spot for the germinator closing wheel is it hey i i need to have ideal conditions in the field or is it hey if you're a little too wet we're the best one that you could choose from or where where do you see that tony the um very good question and very complex question. My typical my typical pattern is I like to go out and evaluate what is taking place in the bulk of the field, the soils I'm going to be planting. So uh, I, I don't do as much evaluation in the end rows. Like you get those planted because you're working off them. Then get into the field and when I'm in the what I think is the primary dirt, I'm back digging and really looking at what's going on. But then when you talk about going to the the clay hills. Uh, as I come over those tops, I will stop when I make my first first passes and do some digging and make sure I'm doing an adequate job back there also. And if not, I might have to apply more down pressure on that closing wheel arm 
to uh, to get it where I would like it. I do not have real light soil, so I can't. Uh, I know a lot of guys talk about having sand. I've uh, had a few uh, individuals that have long rivers. They've got sand on one end and heavy black soil on the other. And uh, one of the things they comment, uh, they don't call my my inner rim shoulder firmer a shoulder firmer. They call it a depth band. And they'll comment on going through the sand. It doesn't overpenetrate. And that's one thing about uh, my wheel weighs 9.4 pounds. And uh, throwing away a rubber tire, you're gaining 8 pounds per wheel, 16 pounds in that closing wheel arm. A lot of people think that's a lot of weight, but it's got a flat surface. And where other closing wheels separate the soil, we press the soil with that flat surface. And it takes a lot of pressure. In fact, that extra 16 pounds does not amount to much. And if uh, in a perfect world, you might lighten up the gauge, uh, the closing wheel arm by a quarter of a notch, which we don't have. So really, you're going to set it pretty close to where a rubber tire was. But the uh, and I've kind of skirted around a few different things there with uh, my comments and answers. But uh, I think you got to look for the primary. Go and make sure you're doing it right and you're difficult. Don't just drive across it. Get out of your seat. Go back and look and make sure you're doing that adequate because there can be a fair number of acres there you'll you'll lose if you don't do it right. Yeah, I think the other thing that I like too, the the I don't know what you would call them, fingers or, or spikes on the, the closing wheel, they're not super long. They're they're long enough. And I've seen some that are longer than that that end up with trouble flipping seed out and that kind of thing. What is that? Would you say that inner shoulder kind of helps avoid that problem too? Yes, it does. The uh, when the uh, spikes go into the ground, they the ground has to displace, and so what it does is it's forced into the furrow, and then the uh, shoulder is coming by and uh, pressing it down and. The best description to have, we create a firm vein. What's occurring, you put the two germinators straight across from each other, and they're making a pinch point down there. And I tell farmers to think about it like this. If you have your two palms facing each other, and you're sliding them together in a V, and you have your thumbs pointing at each other, your thumbs are grabbing soil, and they're dragging it, squeezing it down into a pinch point. And that's creating that firm vein for our seed to get that perfect spot. Big big uh, thing last year on the uh, the dry conditions to uh, firm that soil down to the um, subsoil moisture, the, the moisture in the ground below, wicked up and had a very positive uh, aspect as well as in other conditions to, uh, to close the furrows and things like that. Yeah, uh, if you're having a more difficult... Go ahead. I was just going to say, you're absolutely right what happened last year with some of those dry conditions. We're out of time here up against this break, though. I've been talking with Tony Wendler with Farm Shop MFG about the Germinator closing wheels. You can check that out at farmshopmfg.com. Tony, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You bet. You as well. Stay tuned. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. 
Learn more at caseih.com slash pharma. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday. So our phone lines are open throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll take your calls and agronomic questions. We've got Dwight on the line right now up in North Dakota. Dwight, thanks for hanging on there. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you. I, I no-till fields. Wheat is still part of our rotation. And potash or potassium in our soil is probably four to 600 parts per million on, on quite a few fields, so we don't add uh, potassium. But our chloride, some of our fields, over half of them have tested at four or lower at times, and sometimes higher, they're quite low. Would it work to just spread uh, uh, potash on the surface so that the chloride would eventually break from the pot- potassium and that would percolate down because it's the chloride I'm after more so than the potash. Sure, or sure. The potassium. Yep, you absolutely can in a ton of potash. I think there's something like 450 pounds of chloride. So yeah, there's tons of chloride in there. So yeah, you sure could put it on that way and, and that should move down through the soil. When you say you're 400 to 600 parts per million of K, do you know what your base saturation percentage is by any chance? They'll vary from two to, uh, I think over four, 5%. Okay. Two to five. 
Yep. Yeah, yeah. sure can. Some you of them can, are you on can... the low side. Gotcha. Would you know the break at what point a person would be concerned about a pota or potassium um, deficiency when your um, base saturation is below four or what level? Yeah, we like to see, well, the absolute minimum is two. And if you're, if you're shooting for higher yields, we'd like to see at least 4% in most situations. And then as long as you're not getting over seven and a half or 8%, you're fine. So putting more potassium out there, as long as you're not going to be bringing yourself higher than that. And, and there's no way you're going to, cause you get, you get pretty heavy soils the way it sounds. You should be just fine putting it out there on top like that. Okay. That's a new thought, but that should uh, maybe help me out in the chloride part. All right, so going into this spring, Dwight, what do you what do you seeing? I guess guys are all curious because uh, North Dakota, man, acres can move from one crop to the next. What which crops will pay the best this year, and what are you thinking of putting in the rotation? Wheat is kind of a crop that's big part of it are are acres up here, so wheat will still be a part of it. But there's pintos and pinto beans, soybeans, black beans. Uh, as well as canola, sunflowers. So we have lots of options here. But wheat has usually been lesser acres because it hasn't paid. This is a year that we can probably make money on wheat, so it's probably time to get some wheat back into that rotation. So I'll still stay with some wheat, quite a bit of wheat this year, because uh, it's a year that looks like it can pay pretty well. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, and and the other crops you mentioned, they're no slouches either. <laughs> they're going to be good this year too. So kind of nice to have a few different mm-hmm. profitable choices for once. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often like this. No, nope. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to enjoy it. Well, well, Dwight, good luck to you here heading into the spring. Thanks for the call today. I really appreciate it. Nope. Yep, thanks for your advice. Let's head down to Iowa. We got Dave on with us right now. Dave, how about you? I'm guessing it's probably corn and soybeans this year. Probably not a lot of wheat down in Iowa. Yeah, those those are the two main crops we uh, we just don't have markets for uh, some of the other things, and that's you know we're a little bit jealous of the Dakotas for that reason. They have options that we don't have. Yeah, it is kind of neat uh, just looking at North Dakota and how many different crops they're in the top five or ten uh, producing. It's it's a huge huge list up there, and and then you can also specialize and just be really really good at corn and soybeans in the state of Iowa. So I'm not I'm not worried about you making money this year, Dave. I think you got some profitable options. Yeah, it's you know even though the input prices are high, it, it looks like our bottom line is going to be pretty uh, pretty good this year. So. Right now, it's just a matter of waiting on spring to to get here. It's been uh, we were dry early, and now it's been turned wet. So, um, what we thought maybe was going to be an early spring has turned into a wait and see game again. What What does early planting mean for you? Is that like around April fifteenth on corn, or do you do beans super early? What How do you guys normally start and when? Yeah, th- there'll be a few guys start to roll around the fifteenth. We normally kind of you know, try to stay around that 20th. We're, we're generally no-till. We have a few acres that we will till, but probably 90% no-till. So we like to see that soil warm up and dry just a touch more. But um, this year, the plans changed. We're going to plant beans first. Um, we're seeing lots of research come out that uh, those early planted beans are, are out yielding even the May 1st beans. So um, we're going to go to the field somewhere around the 15th, the 17th, and plant a few beans and try to hammer the rest of them in the ground by the 25th or so. 
Yeah. Yeah, it'll be really uh, neat to see how that turns out. I, I like watching when the first flowering date is. And I, I know as we've planted beans earlier, that flowering date's moved up pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's for the research that I've been reading, that's kind of the key is that you want to see that, that plant in full flower before summer solstice. And and typically we don't. Uh, it's, it's just after that when we're in that early May planting uh, window that's been traditional here. So uh, we're going to try to flip that around a little bit. And, you know, we don't seem to lose much yield on corn by, by pushing that back a little bit. So um, we're going to try to try to see what we can do here. Yeah, it's cool to switch things up just a little bit. How about rotation this year? Sticking with the same thing or, or changing that too? We're, we're kind of locked in. We're, we're raising some seed beans, so we had those, those contracts locked in kind of early. Um, I, I almost wish we didn't because my profitability ratio is much higher on corn than beans this year. Um, so we'd like to, I mean, the, the acres that we can flip, we may flip them to corn yet. Um, we've just got P and K on. We don't have any nitrogen down. So, so most of those acres can be, be uh, moved around pretty easily. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, th- I always think it's fun when, when, uh, somebody switches acres up kind of last minute and it's, well, I got, I got a bunch of fertilizer on there, but now I'm going to go soybeans. Almost always we see the soybeans really respond and it changes thinking going forward of, man, when I put that corn fertility, uh, P and K levels out there, it worked good for my beans too. Maybe you guys are already pushing it on the beans. I'm not sure. We are. I mean, we're our fertility levels on beans are are not too far off of corn. So, uh, on a per acre basis, you know, we're putting a little bit more, uh, uh, putting a little bit more out there on corn than beans. But um, we we fertilize every acre every year, and we like to treat beans just like we do tr- corn as a as a primary crop. Okay, so when we plant corn early. We know that seed's going to have to lay there longer. So the soybeans, as you're planting those earlier, chances are, I mean, it, hopefully it'll be warmer than it is this week. But but still, it's yeah. it's going to be cooler than it would have been if you would have waited till May 1st. So do you do anything different? Is it just make sure you get a good seed treatment on? Are you more worried about SDS or anything? Uh, we're, we're, we'll make sure that, that those beans are fully treated. Um, we do our, our own treating here on our farm, so uh, we'll... We'll put a full rate of fungicide and insecticide, and and we've got a couple of different SDS products. You know, Olivo's been the standby, but we're trying a new one this year called Ceramax. That's uh, more of a biologic treatment that shows shows some promise. Um, so we're going to give it a test. If it yeah. works this year, we know it'll work. Yeah. Put it in early on cooler soils. How about, let me switch gears over to the corn, because I, I was just uh, talking to somebody yesterday on the show that said, uh, let's see, it was uh, Marty Marty Chovers up at Michigan State. He said, Iowa, every county in Iowa had tar spot, just didn't amount to much for most of them because it wasn't a wet year. Uh, if it is a wet year this year and there is some tar spot around, do you guys have a plan in place for that one too? <laughs> You know, that's a little bit tougher. We've, we've dealt with tar spot for three years now. Um, we saw it last year. It came in kind of late, but I still think it nicked the top end of our yields. Um, the fungicide treatments are kind of hit and miss. Uh, so we're, we're still kind of searching for that silver bullet on tar spot. But uh, we typically fungicide treat most of our corn acres anyway, uh, but it may be we adjust the timing of it a little bit. Um, like I said, we're still trying to find the magic bullet for tar spot because it, 
it has hurt us uh, hurt us on yield last year. It wasn't quite so bad, but it, it still did nick off the top end. Well, if you figure out exactly what it takes to stop that, let us know because, boy, that's the big question everybody's got. And, and you're right, the timing on the fungicide, uh, just getting amazing coverage. Man, they're just there's so many tricks. It's not easy, that's for sure. Well, Dave, thank you so much. Really appreciate it all the time. Thanks for sharing a little about your plans, and good luck heading into the spring here. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, and we'll be right back after this. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Farmers across the country are raving about the Germinator closing system from Farm Shop MFG. Paul from New York says, My planter has never worked so well on soybeans. I'll definitely be using the Germinator wheels again and will be telling everyone I know. For more success stories from farmers everywhere and to order a set for your planter this spring, visit farmshopmfg.com. Weather or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. 
You can email us a question, radio at agphd.com, or just give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Ohio. We've got Trent with us right now. How's it going, Trent? Doing pretty good. You know, looking at, at this year's crop, yes, we got a great shot if we can just get that thing in. What are conditions like in Ohio right now? Well, we're actually pretty wet on top, but we uh, we have drier conditions underneath, so it's not going to take long for us to get in the field once we get some heat and sun. Outstanding. Outstanding. I know uh, in the past you've said you, you've kind of been in charge of the fertility program, which probably makes you the least popular guy on the farm this year, I'm betting, with fertility prices. Unless you hit it just right somehow, Trent. Did you find some way to get fertilizer at a reasonable price? Well, we bought a decent amount of 28, and I thought, man, I'm I'm overpaying for this 28, and it turned out I was way, way uh, underpaying, and I should have bought more, but we didn't do too terrible. Outstanding. Yeah, it's 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 just fun. I was talking to, uh, there's a company that does grain marketing and also uh, uh, fertility stuff, and they said, man, the grain marketing guys are super popular and having so much fun, and the fertility guys, they're getting beat up all the time that the prices are just crazy, but... Uh, what are you doing with that fertility prayer? Are you guys doing a lot of variable rate stuff or, or how do you do it? Yeah, we do variable rate. And with these expensive prices, we've cut back some, but we, we ban most of our fertilizer. So we're hoping that we can get more bang for the buck and, and band a lower rate and get by until, until prices come down and we can build our levels back up. Sure. Sure. How about manure? Do you guys have access to manure around you? Yeah, we have, we have, um, hog confinement facilities and so we utilize that and we are trying to spread that out we have a drag line system which is a great way to spread your manure um lower compaction and we can we've we've been looking at buying more hose to get get our manure spread to more acres where we can we can uh get get much uh cheaper fertility on those fields then outstanding outstanding what what other things are you working on that's new this year or new just the last couple of years you're just still fine-tuning um, well, one thing we've, we've gone with the precision planting conceal system this year. We, uh, we did, we do spring strip till and we had been running urea in our spring strips and the last year we were really dry. And so we've been doing the urea for five years and, and last year we had some yellow corn and that, that urea actually, which is about five inches away from the seed, it was dry enough that it came up and burnt some some roots off our wow. our seedlings and stunted them for they, they, it was early June before they took off, huh. and so we're looking to avoid that. That yeah, again. yeah, no kidding. Well, and and you know that's what my dad always called experience is learning from past mistakes. And yep, that's something like you say. Hey, it worked for four years, but but then you found the year that it didn't. Yeah. So now you make some changes to see how it goes. So what's going to go through your conceal system? Um, we're just going to run 28 and thiosol, so about 17 gallons of 28 and 4 gallons of thiosol. Okay. Okay, interesting. So how about that sulfur? We, we've been using more and more and having good luck over here in the Dakotas. How, how about in Ohio? Um, we're, we're just starting to see some response here. I've tested it for about um, five years, and it's been hit or miss. Um, but the last year, in a drier year, it showed up. And so we're just thinking about getting it out there, um, helping get that, that corn plant started off to a good start. And then I think at the moment, we'll, we'll get some from our soil once it warms up. 
Gotcha. You know, you mentioned uh, you bought a lot of that 28% right this year, but should have bought more. So some of the guys that we're talking to that should have bought more at a really good price have said, you know what, maybe I'll switch a couple of fields over to beans and then I'm just done. You guys switching anything around, putting more beans in or more corn in? Um, we're still, we normally plant about 55% beans and 45 corn. And, uh, we're sticking with that. When, when we do our numbers, we're, we're still coming about, um, coming out about even or, um, return just obviously have a little more risk in the corn, but we're sticking with it. Yep. Yep. Well, good luck to you this spring trend. I know, uh, like you say, if it's dry underneath, it won't take too long. We just need some sunshine and a couple of warm days. And, uh, when do you guys want to get rolling? You hoping to go mid month here or, or are you going to go later on in April? Yeah, mid month would be ideal. Um, last year we planted April sixth, and that was that was the earliest we'd gone in a while. But but we could we could plant as soon as it's fit. Outstanding. Well, good luck to you, Trent, and stay safe this spring. Really appreciate having you on today. Yep, good talking to you. Let's head over to Wisconsin. We got Jim with us right now. How about you, Jim? Are you guys going to be rolling in the field soon? Uh, it doesn't appear so. We're pretty wet right now. Got stuck this morning hauling manure. We haul manure daily on a dairy here. So we get stuck doing that, and then uh, it's been cold. Hasn't things haven't warmed up, so I don't I don't know. It's going to be uh, boy at least a week. Hopefully, then the weather is straight now. We can get going. I hope. Yeah, it just so. looks cold going forward here for a while as well. So that that takes a little bit of pressure off. If uh, if you're nervous about man, I really want to be out there. At least at least the decision is made for you. Well, it's just flat too wet. <laughs> so even if you were crazy enough yeah. to plant now, you can't do it. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. What do you want to put in first, Jim? Do you guys ever plant beans early, or are you guys corn first all the time? Well, we're normally corn first all the time. We did some, uh, and working with an agronomist last year, we did some planting, and we took soil temp readings when we, the day we planted. So, and we had some data come back, and it's kind of interesting because when we planted, oh, we planted about the twenty started planting about 23rd of April, and there was 60-degree soil temperatures. And then uh, we got a cold rain after that. Soil temperatures dropped down in the 50s to at, at about 28th of April, and we planted some then. Then the soil temperatures were back up in the mid-60s, about the 30th of April. Then they were back down again after that in May. But the results we got back, which was very interesting, was our well our average yield was 188 the uh but the temp when we planted in 6 degree soil temperatures we were up at 215 220 and everything that we planted in 50 degree soil temperatures were down below that yield average wow yeah that is something that's that's kind of interesting so the day of planting was a big deal yep. like you mentioned the 23rd hey soils were warm and you still had more yield even though you caught some cold rain after that that's that first day must be a big deal. Yes. Yeah, it looks like it. Kind of like a newborn calf. Needs colostrum right away. Yeah. Yeah, you're Needs right about that. And if you don't get a good start, it's really hard to, to get it back. Yeah. So then when we're what we're looking at is the plant, if it's if we can get soil temperatures at sixty or above, we'll we'll go with corn. If we don't, we'll go with beans. Yeah. Right away. Yeah, that is that is interesting. I know um 
I know we've talked to a lot of farmers out there, and I know Glenn Glenn Hers, our research lead, uh, he's a big believer in let's roll with soybeans if it's a little too cold and, and start there. My brother, on the other hand, he's just ready to roll with corn. He just wants to see that corn in so bad. I don't know. It's it's hard. You get some of those things in your head, and I don't know. I, I love that you've got data and you're willing to make adjustments based on the data. I think that's a good thing overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, usually you're early corn. You know, we've always been it's always seemed to note it that the early corns did wood good, but yeah, we had early corns, we had late corns, you know, just different soil temperatures and you could really see a difference. So, you know, it didn't matter if it was early or late, right. even the later corn planted in, in good soil temperature did better. So. Hey, let's switch gears to another crop and, and just thinking about Wisconsin, lots of alfalfa. And I know there'll be some guys that put some in, in the spring. How early do they push that? Would, would, do you guys wait uh, and, and throw the corn or soybeans in first and then come back and do it? Or are they really pushing to try and get that in in April? Well, around here, we, you know, we got dairy, but it's been so cut back. I mean, used to go every farm down the road was dairy, but it's gone now. I mean, you just got big dairies here. So, uh, yeah, we normally what we would do is uh, is try to put that in first. You usually had an oats cover crop. Old now, love as of late, we've dropped back. I've, I've even waited until midsummer sometimes just because the soil conditions weren't very good. It was always wet and, and so forth. So it was kind of hard to get a really nice finish on a field. And, and you know, you got to have that four years. And yeah. you get it in wrong, and it's just not good. It doesn't do well. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah, that's that's right. You're, you're planting a crop that, that's going to be there for a few years. You better better make sure to do it right. I'm talking with Jim over in Wisconsin. Jim, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. And good luck this spring. Yep. Thank you. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Do you have a history of white mold or SDS in your bean fields? While you can never predict when disease will occur, using the right seed treatments can reduce your risk of yield loss when it does. Did you know adding heads up to your seed treatment package brings a proven mode of action that primes your beans so they're ready to fight off disease all season long? Ask your seed dealer to apply heads up for protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome this season. Learn more at headsupst.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. More farmers are discovering the power of the germinator. 
Greg from Iowa says, This year I was very impressed with the Germinator's performance in a variety of soils. More Germinator success stories at farmshopmfg.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head back to the phone lines, head down to New Mexico here. we got Steve with us right now. Steve, how's it going? Oh, it's wonderful in New Mexico. We're sunny and lots of sunshine today. You bet. Um, we're probably going to head to a high here in the Four Corners area. We'll probably be in the, I'd say in the high 60s today, maybe low 70s. And so yeah, we have a beautiful day today. It's 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 the beginning of good good growing weather, especially for triticale. Triticale, I got some triticale in the ground, so uh, growing quite well. Matter of fact, and uh, hopefully about mid June we'll be uh, cutting that at the, probably at the leaf stage or uh, pre boot stage, and hopefully get two cuttings off that, and then follow up with some Sudan grass. And then I'm just doing a lot of a healthy soil crop rotation right now on most of my fields and getting them ready in maybe in about two years, two seasons to come in with some permanent grass or permanent grass alfalfa mix. Outstanding. So what are you feeding the triticale and Sudan grass to? You know, it's a wonderful crop for that, uh, especially the triticale. I love triticale, especially finishing out butcher steers. I raise butcher steers for customers as well. I deliver meat directly to the front doorstep, matter of fact. And, um, you know, it's just a great way to finish those steers off and, you know, it's still got the protein content to it, but it's just really good silage overall. It's got a nice, good, sweet taste to it. Those cows will, or those steers will clean it up. Uh, but speaking of cows, of course, it's a great resource for that of uh, building their milk bags up uh, somewhat as well. And especially for the, the sheep producers, they love it for their ewes. And, uh, of course, they use it in the dairy for insulin. And uh, it's, a, it's a great way, of again, of just really uh, for your cows to produce good milk. You know, the big thing that doesn't get talked about enough is the quality of the feedstuffs going into those animals. And I know everybody wants to put up good silage and this type of thing or, or get the, the hay put up just right. But looking at what's happening in the soil, having good, healthy soil with the right nutritional balance makes the right nutritional balance in the feedstock and the right nutritional balance in the animal and better, you know, better for us on the, the end being a consumer of meat or whatever product. So I, I love it that you're focusing on that whole system, Steve. I think, I think you had a great story to tell. Yeah. You know what? And, and it is because, you know, first of all, we got to keep agriculture on the forefront because we do feed America and other countries as well. 
But right now, what we're facing, obviously, uh, with with the rate of inflation, the fertilizer cost is almost doubled here. Uh, what I was paying for a, a basic grass alfalfa mix of fertilizer mix, uh, some nitrogen uh, uh, urea mix with that of uh, uh, some potash and a little bit of phosphate, maybe a little bit of iron thrown in. It depends on what my soil tests come out with, you know. But I was paying like 650 bucks last year a ton. This year we're going to be pretty close to 1100 if not $1,200 per ton of what Basin Co-op I get my stuff out of, Basin Co-op in Durango. And, you know, it's just, it's just the cost of consumables, the price of fuel, you know, and it's really hurting all of us, farmers and ranchers in the bottom line. But, again, you know, it's fine in that niche market, and I enjoy raising good quality steers and good quality meat. And for my customers, I – delivered directly to the front doorstep right from the processor of a USDA-inspected uh, plant, matter of fact, and it's located near Durango, Colorado as well. Well, it doesn't get much better than a 60 or 70 degree sunny day out on the farm raising livestock. That's kind of what kind of what we're meant to do, isn't it, Steve? Well, I was born doing it. I was raised in the boot hills of New Mexico, right on the frontier on the Mexican border, and my father was a cotton farmer, but we did a lot of crop rotations with winter wheat, um, and along with triticalia and oats and et cetera, uh, in between that of, of cotton crops, you know, and then my dad operated a cotton gin as well, but we had a feedlot and, you know, I, I find it a great joy and a fulfillment there of knowing you're producing, you know, beef for that of human consumption. And, and I think that as farmers and ranchers, we are the best stewards uh, of the land and, and we know that we have to use it wisely and, uh, to keep our cost in, in, in line with that of what we can sell the product for. And, uh, you know, we're all out of a business to make a profit, of course, but it's more to that. It's, it's a culture. It's a culture. It's a woven culture for us. And it's bred in you in a way to you, you take pride in, in what you produce. You, you're able to see it. It's a tangible thing. You know, it's like doing triticale. People drive by these crops that I have. It's right close to the highway. They say, what are you growing out there? It's so green during the wintertime. It looks like a golf course. You know, and it's really come on nice and thick now. The leaf structure in it and stuff, the vernalization is really starting to take on now. You know, but, uh, you know, there's just a sense of pride in that, you know. And I think that oftentimes agricultural producers aren't recognized for that, that, that it's, a, it's a culture. It's part of the community. It's like the value of the church, the school, and everything within the community. You've got your farmers and ranchers that are producing, you know, something that hits the dinner table or clothes that we wear on, the, on our back. Well, not just the general society needing to kind of understand that. I think we as farmers too, Steve, have to have to understand what we're doing for everybody in society out here. We play a really important role, and uh, a lot of folks like yourself really take pride in that and, and doing things the best they can. Steve, you got us fired up. That's a great way to, to leave it on a Friday heading into the weekend. Thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Well, you're welcome, and thanks for the invitation, and God bless. America. God bless farmers and ranchers. And uh, keep your eye on the ball, and God has a purpose for all of us. Amen to that, huh? You bet. Thanks so much, Steve. We really appreciate it. Uh, Brian, we had a question that came in. Uh, speak about America here from uh, from a teacher. This is from Emily. And she said, I was at one of your soils clinics, and I remember you guys touching on the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico and got into a debate with somebody on whether or not it was caused by farmers or, or what was the cause. Could you possibly retell that or send me some sure. slides from your clinic? Okay, so I was at a conference down at Iowa State University. It's probably, let's call it eight years ago. It might have been 10. Time flies anymore. But anyway, I wanted to hear a speaker in particular talking about 
this zone of hypoxia in the Gulf of Mexico. So he get all he gets all done with his talk for an hour long. And I, and I went up to him afterwards and I go, okay, well, you didn't answer my two main questions that I had. Here are my questions. Number one, how far back do you actually have records on this zone of hypoxia in the Gulf of Mexico? And he goes, well, about 100 years. And I said, okay, now here's the most important question. How big was the zone of hypoxia roughly 100 years ago when you first know how big it was? And he said, oh, it's about the same size as it is today. Same size as it is today. So I said, why in the world are we even talking about it then? This is nonsense that we're talking about the zone of hypoxia. Uh, so a couple of things with this. Anytime you're going to have that much fresh water meeting salt water, you're going to have a zone of hypoxia. So when you just study chemistry, you start to understand, okay, there are freshwater fish, there are saltwater fish, and the one isn't going to live in the other and vice versa. The next thing is the pollution, the true pollution that's in the river. Um, city of Chicago is number one, just so you know. And that's a fact. You can look at all the other municipalities that are all along that river. And I just challenge anybody out there who doesn't think that or who thinks that farmers are to blame. Please go test the water in front of the city and after the city. And you'll find a stark difference. We do even in Sioux Falls in our, in our town of a quarter million people. So the water's way cleaner before it goes through Sioux Falls. And huh, after Sioux Falls, for some reason, the water's way dirtier. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. I could talk about that the rest of the day. Let's, here's, uh, so soil test stuff. You actually had a couple there, Darren. Let's get, I think, I know we got time for this one. All right. Uh, this one comes in from Reed, and he said, I'm a young farmer farming with two brothers. Oh, boy, I feel for you, Reed. Uh, up in Manitoba, and he said, I've been, been listening to you guys for quite a while here. We've got high pH soils except our peatland, high CECs, and an excess of certain nutrients. Uh, just wondering what you guys would do okay. on the farm. Okay. So his peat ground, listen to this. Cation exchange capacity, and granted, this is this particular lab, says 258. CEC, and 33.5% organic matter. Look, when your organic matter is 34%, it's tying up everything. Your nutrients, your herbicide, everything. So we talk about well, what's the best way to break down organic matter faster? You know what it is. Moldboard plow. Honestly, if I had ground like that, I'd be pulling out the moldboard plow. There's a bunch of nitrate in that soil test, and so that's why when they're making recommendations, uh, and fortunately they didn't tell you to put on more, well, it looks like they did in one case, to put on more nitrogen, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not probably putting on any more nitrogen. I just I, I, I just till. What were you going to say? All right, there? last thing, they, they just said they tiled half a field a couple of years ago. They've been dry, of course, since, but they, yeah. were, they were just wondering what our insight was on tile, if it's worth it, worth it to go ahead or should we work on the fertility well, things first? Tile, tile is usually first, but let's put it this way. You've got some leachables like sulfur and chloride where you have a whole bunch of them, and that shows me, you know what, you probably have a drainage issue out there. Last thing, real quick, uh, when they're making recommendations to you on sulfur and you're still sitting with three, four, five hundred pounds in the soil, I, I'd try some without because I don't think it's going to pay. You got all kinds of that in the soil. Hey, thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. And thanks for listening to our show. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD.